So again, we have the opportunity to be here and to listen to Nagarjuna's precious text on the path to awakening. And this text is really quite remarkable. The uh, breadth of the material that it covers and also the profundity that it covers. So it really stretches our mind in all directions to think of limitless causes for limitless virtue that create limitless good qualities in a state of full awakening that is limitless. And so for our minds that like nice, neat categories and numbers, thinking of things that are limitless uh, makes us uneasy. And that's good because we need to be able to think in a limitless, incredibly creative way. And so especially when we think of the qualities of the great bodhisattvas and the qualities of the Buddha, which are all limitless, or the qualities of the Buddha's are, yeah, then to have the internal strength of character and the internal determination to create those limitless causes so that we have all the limitless capabilities to be able to be of great benefit to others. So to develop that kind of courage and determination and resolution to carry our bodhicitta intention through until it is actualized. This requires a great strength of character. And so while that is our long-term intention, our long-term goal, The initial steps on the path are designed to help us build that internal strength and internal strength of character and determination. And so with that in mind, then, let's activate that courage and determination to understand and contemplate the teachings that we hear tonight. So, um, We'll start with 478. 
Well, let's start with 477, because it and 478 go together. May I always be adorned with these good qualities and all others as well. May I become free of all faults, and may I attain supreme love for all sentient beings. So this is generating... uh, It's a dedication verse and an aspiration for our own practice that we be able to have the qualities necessary to be of great benefit to sentient beings and to be free of all faults. And our faults are numberless. You know, everything becomes numberless and limitless. So are our faults, but they, the good, qual- good thing is that they have antidotes to them, so we can do something about them. And then also specifically saying, may I attain supreme love for all beings. So really uh, planting that as a strong aspiration in our mind. If we can have uh, great love for all beings, our mind is going to be very happy, very relaxed, very joyful. Um, Yeah, because in order to have that kind of love, we have to be free of the critical, judgmental mind. And just being free of that mind already is going to feel real good, isn't it? Yeah, because that mind is really a pain in the neck when it gets going and it starts criticizing everyone and everything, ourselves and others. So if we can develop supreme love, then, yeah, have a lot of uh, internal peace. And then 478, may I perfect the virtues to which all beings aspire, and may I always dispel the dukkha of all embodied beings. Okay, so um, the virtues to which all beings aspire. This this doesn't mean ordinary beings because what ordinary beings aspire for is, uh, you know, may I win the lottery, may I, uh, you know, get tickets to the next Red Sox game, may I uh, get a good flight to wherever I'm going. That is, you know the extent of ordinary beings' <laughs> virtue <laughs> very often. And so um, here, you know, it's talking about the, the virtues of the wise, you know, the people who are wise, the virtues to which they aspire for. And may I always dispel the dukkha of all embodied beings. So here we're we're making the aspiration to dispel the dukkha of all embodied beings. And you have to ask, is that a, uh, a possible phenomena? Can that actually happen? Okay. Now, sure, if somebody's hungry, can, we can dispel that pain by giving them food. Yeah, if they're thirsty, we can dispel that by giving them something to drink. Yeah, but even within samsara, 
You know, when we start talking about people's emotional needs, can we dispel the suffering they have from unfulfilled needs? We can't, but we sure try, don't we? And we take it upon ourselves that uh, we assume responsibility for another person's feelings, which is ridiculous because we can't control what they feel. Yeah? So we not only assume responsibility for their feelings, which we can't fulfill, but we also try and make other people assume responsibilities for our feelings and fulfill our needs and do what we want and give us the support we need and all of this kind of stuff. So it goes both ways. We try and get other people to fulfill our needs, which they can never do because there are needs and we have to fulfill find a way to work with them ourselves and also it goes the other way well we get hooked into trying to fulfill their needs which on an emotional level we can't yeah all we can do is be who we are and sometimes that fulfills others needs and sometimes it doesn't yeah So do you see how sometimes you get uh, caught in, in either way of those two things? Yeah? We can be, remain very unhappy because, you know, people just aren't being nice to us. Yeah? They aren't being nice to me, which means I have needs and it's their job to fulfill my needs. Yeah? Isn't that what they aren't being nice to me means? (laughs) Yeah? They're responsible for fulfilling my needs and making me happy. And they aren't doing it. How wrong and bad and terrible they are. Now, of course, they never signed up for the job of fulfilling all of our needs. But we gave them that job. And to the extent that they're stupid like us, they bit the hook. Just as we bite the hook when they throw it out and try and make us responsible for their feelings. Okay? So a lot of suffering comes about because of this. Yeah? A whole lot of suffering. And often we don't realize it until after we've been stuck in the quagmire for a while. And then what's really weird is when we start to get unstuck, then very often people get mad at us. Yeah? Because we aren't fulfilling their needs. Because we can't. Because everybody's needs are their, you know, I'm talking about emotional needs, you know, physical needs we can do. But emotional needs? No? Yeah, 15 backflips won't do it. And why is this? Because our emotional needs come from attachment within us. Yeah, 
And the problem is not that the attachment isn't, the problem is not that the attachment isn't getting what it wants. The problem is having the attachment. Okay? You getting what I'm saying? Yeah. So this is the, you know, the whole thing with attachment. And, and you know, why some people get confused. Pleasure is not bad or wrong or to be avoided. Pleasure is not a problem. Attachment to the pleasure is. Okay? And so similarly, people have emotional needs, but it's the attachment to, I've got to get these met, you know, that causes all the suffering. Mm -hmm. And we sure get angry at people when they don't do what we want them to do. Yeah? Because they are not fulfilling the job description we gave them that they never signed on the dotted line of. Okay? So here when it says, may I always dispel the dukkha of of all living beings, it's meaning, you know, from my side, may I have no impediment to being able to wholeheartedly give and wholeheartedly want to benefit others. Yeah, from my side, may there be no impediment. But we can't control other people's side. Mm -hmm. And that's why His Holiness says, uh, you know, that we usually think it's that the person who's the recipient of the compassion, who's getting the most out of it, And he says, no, it's the person who gives the compassion that is receiving the most out of it. Yeah, Because when we give compassion or love, we can't make somebody receive it. In the same way, people can give us compassion and love. And when our mind is stuck, we see their compassion and wish to help as people trying to, you know, put a stake in our heart or something like that. We completely misinterpret it. Yeah? Communicating? Yeah? You see some examples in your life? Yeah? So the the idea in, in, in Buddhism, and it comes, you know... He brings this up in many ways. You know, when, when the Buddha defines the perfection of generosity, the, it, the perfection of generosity doesn't mean that there's no longer any poverty in the world. Yeah, the perfection of generosity is that from our side there's no hindrance to giving. We can't control the poverty in the world. We can only control that that from our side there's no hindrance to the giving. Yeah. Similarly, you know, the perfection of ethical conduct is is not that there's no more harm or violence in the world because we can't make that happen. It's 
within our heart, there's no more intention to harm. Okay? So, I think it's, it's very important that we get clear again and again what is our responsibility and what is others' responsibility. And then we can really help people because we won't get caught in sticky, gooey, emotional relationships trying to fulfill somebody else's need because they want us to, but we can't. Okay. You ever gotten involved in sticky, gooey emotional relationships? Never. Yeah. And as soon as you try and get out of them, oh, people think you're so bad. You know, you're deserting them, you're unfaithful, you're disloyal, you're selfish. Yeah, cruel, cold heart. Yeah, I forgot that one. Yeah, in the same way, you know, when other people are getting wise and backing up, you know, when we're demanding that that they fulfill our needs, then we get so upset with them. They don't care about me anymore. Yeah, they used to care about me so much, and now they're caring about someone else or they're selfish or whatever. Yeah. My needs are somebody else's responsibility. Their needs are my responsibility. Yeah. Big mess. Okay, so here, may I always dispel the dukkha of all embodied beings is a clean, clear wish. It's not an aspiration. May I be in sticky, gooey emotional relationships with it, with all sentient beings. Okay. <laughs> well, I say that because we're coming up with another verse. Yeah, where is it? And verse uh, 484, it says, may I be beloved of beings. And our mind instantly goes, well, finally, I get to pray that I get to be beloved of all beings. You know, usually it's I have to give up my self-centeredness, and now I get to pray to be for everybody to love me, which means everybody's going to fulfill my needs, and they're all going to do what I want, and I'm going to be the center of attention because they all love me. That's what Nagarjuna means. Wrong. <laughs> okay. So that's why I'm trying to make this very clear, because otherwise we, you know, can ring, we read a verse and then we impute our own meaning onto it. Okay. Then 479, in all worlds may all beings who are feeling anxious due to danger... Yeah, remember we decided to change fear to danger? Yeah, because you aren't anxious due to fear. You're anxious when there's danger. Yeah, so we have to remember to change it in in the verses. We forgot to say the, recite the verses today. We should do that. 
Let me finish this verse first. Okay. So may all beings who are feeling anxious due to danger. Okay. So it could be uh, dangerous situations. It could that are, uh, you know, physical danger. It could be they're not feeling safe, some kind of emotional danger. It could be situations in which there's no danger, but somebody's mind has created danger and anxiety. We never do that, do we? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we do it a lot. We create a lot of of danger. You know, oh, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and nobody's going to love me. Yeah, and there's nothing going on, but our mind is doing its creative writing story and throwing us into a panic. Okay, so may all uh, may all beings who are feeling anxious due to danger become completely fearless. Yeah, merely by hearing my name. Now, is that really going to happen? That they just hear your name? Somebody hears Susan, and all of a sudden, all my fear and anxiety is gone. Yeah. Somebody hears Uncle Donnie, and all my fear and anxiety comes back. Comes back. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, here I think what it means is, I mean, wouldn't that, that's a nice aspiration. I mean, boy, I really wish people's problems could be solved that easily that, you know, all they do is hear my name. But um, I think when you, th- when you, th- if there's the dependent arising of a person who has faith and the name of that deity or the name of that Buddha, yeah, when you have that dependent arising coming together, yes, somebody's fear can get dispelled. Because you could be in a full state of panic and then you hear Avalokiteshvara and you think of Chenrezig's peaceful, calm eyes and his thousand arms reaching out. And because you've done a lot of meditation, that image just comes to your mind very quickly. Then it can settle your mind. Yeah, and dispel the fear. But that depends on us having a lot of familiarity with that deity beforehand. Yeah. Somebody just wrote me a letter, actually. Um, a young man who was suffering from, as we all do in our, in our youth, from a lot of sexual energy and, you know, not knowing what to do with it. And he, he mentioned that when he thinks of the Buddha, very often that really helps him to settle his mind. Yeah, so when you have that, that dependent arising of, you know, our faith and then the name or the image of, of a Buddha or a deity, then that can happen. Okay. Yeah. 
right now it might be when people hear our name, they feel fear instead of fearless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you hear the name children and it's like, oh no, what's she going to say to me now? <laughs> yeah. What's she going to tell me now? What's she going to fault? Is she going to point out in me now? You know, uh, how can I get out of here? <laughs> So, okay. So um, we, let's do what we should have done at the beginning. Yeah. Just as Trump should have fired Comey at the beginning instead of now. Uh, let's, uh, we should have recited this at the beginning of the class, but we didn't. So let's recite it now, the 20-verse prayer. Honoring in all ways the Buddhas, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and also the Bodhisattvas, in them I take refuge and pay homage to those worthy of homage. I turn away from all negativity and embrace all kinds of merit. I rejoice in all merit by all sentient beings. With bowed heads and palms together, I beseech all perfect Buddhas, turn the wheel of Dharma, and remain as long as beings remain. Through the merit of doing this and the merit I have done and will do, may all sentient beings be endowed with unsurpassed bodhicitta. May all sentient beings have immaculate faculties and transcend the unfree states. May they control their own actions and live by right livelihood. May all embodied beings have jewels in their hands and may a limitless amount of all kinds of necessities remain inexhaustible for as long as cyclic existence endures. At all times, may all women become supreme persons. May all beings be endowed with intelligence and legs. May all beings have a good complexion and also a good physique. May they be radiant and pleasant to behold. Free of illness, may they be strong and live long. May all beings expertise and skillful means come free of all dukkha. May they become devoted to the three jewels and have the great treasure of the Dharma. May they be endorsed without the passion, joy, and equanimity, face of hardship, generosity, the good conduct, fortitude, joy, suffering, attentive stability, and wisdom. Thus, may they complete all collections and obtain brilliant signs and marks. May they traverse without hindrance the ten grounds to the inconceivable. May I also become adorned with these good qualities and all others as well. May I become free from all faults, and may I obtain supreme love of all beings. May I perfect the virtues to which all beings aspire, and may I always dispel the dukkha of all embodied beings. In all worlds, may all beings who are feeling anxious due to danger become completely fearless merely by hearing my name from seeing and thinking of me and from merely hearing my name. May all beings become clear-minded, undisturbed, and at ease. May it be definite that they will awaken, and in all their future lives may they attain the five super-knowledges. In all ways, may I always do what brings benefit and happiness to all beings. May I always dissuade all at once all those beings of any world who intend to engage in negativity outdoing them any harm. 
like the earth, water, fire, and fire, medicinal herbs, and the trees in the wilderness, may I always freely be an object of enjoyment by all beings as they wish. May I be beloved of beings, and may they be more beloved to me than myself. May I bear the result of their activities, and may they have the results of all my virtue. As long as there is even one sentient being somewhere who is not yet free, may I remain in the world for that being's sake, even if I have attained peerless awakening. If the merit of making such statements were to be material, it would not fit into the world as numerous as the grains of sand of the Ganges. This is what the Blessed One has said. The reason is here to be seen. The worlds of beings are immeasurable, and the intention to aid them is eloquence. Then uh, verse, we'll go back to 480. It's beautiful to reciting that, isn't it? Yeah, doesn't it uplift your mind? Okay, so 480. From seeing and thinking of me, and from merely hearing my name, may beings become clear-minded, undisturbed, and at ease. Okay, so this is like the dedication prayer that we have. May all beings who hear, see, see, seeing, yeah, talking about me, touching, and so on, you know, be free from all uh, suffering and attain all happiness. So it's similar to that. Okay? But, you know, for us to have that kind of effect on others, we have to really have the bodhicitta and wisdom. Yeah? Otherwise, really, and when they think of us, they may feel more afraid and they may feel angry, and they may feel who knows what. Yeah, so from our side, uh, you know, not only may, may, merely from seeing us may this happen, but may we develop the qualities so that when people think about us or hear our name, it gives them confidence and puts, puts their mind at ease and make, helps them to remember that there's goodness in the world. Because sometimes when people get freaked out, you know, that's what they have forgotten. And uh, so if we can, because of our virtue, become a trigger for other people recalling the goodness in the world and recalling, uh, you know, becoming fearless themselves, then that would be really wonderful. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Folks, the image for how the Tibetans feel about His Holiness. Yeah, yeah, very much how they feel about His Holiness. Oh, thank you for bringing that up because I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Some of you may have been at, at DFF when Peldon Gyatso came to give a talk. He's the monk. Do you, do you remember the name of the book that he wrote? It was about his, he was imprisoned, Fire Under the Snow, is it? Okay, yeah, I can't remember the title, but, you know, and he spoke about, because uh, he was in, in prison for 30 years in Tibet after the communist takeover, and he came to give a talk at, we had just, like, overnight to organize it, at 6 o'clock in the morning at uh, the, the house on 70th Street, 
And so he gave the talk, and then everybody went to work. And then, um, I forget, somebody else and I uh, prepared breakfast for him. And while the other person was preparing breakfast, I noticed that, that held in Gautso, I had a picture of Chenrezig uh, in the dining room. No, picture was it of Chenrezig or, or His Holiness? And he was just l- looking at that picture of His Holiness, you know. Just his eyes were completely fixed on that. And you can tell, that, or I could tell, that that was what gave him the strength during the 30 years of imprisonment, was thinking of His Holiness. Yeah. So that has to do, of course, with His Holiness's tremendous virtue, but with Heldon Gautso's faith in him. Yeah. So that dependent arising. In the same way, you know, when we read biographies and all of different people and we see what they've overcome and what they've gone through, then we feel inspired. And so sometimes if we're in a difficult situation, if we then think of that person and what they've gone through, it gives us renewed inner strength. Yeah, so it's, I think it's like that. Okay, so that's 480. Yeah, so may they become clear-minded. Yeah, may they be, sentient beings be able to think clearly, you know, and be free of minds that are just cluttered with all sorts of nonsense thoughts. Yeah, so may they be able to see situations clearly without exaggeration. Yeah, without, as we often say, creating mountains out of molehills. Yeah, or denigrating molehills, uh, mountains into molehills. Okay, by ignoring things that are actually quite important. Yeah, may they become undisturbed and at ease. So relaxed. May it be definite that they will awaken. And in all their future lives, may they attain the five super-knowledges. In all ways, may I always do what brings benefit and happiness to all beings. So may it be definite that they will awaken. Okay, may they, um, you know, gather the merit and do the purification that, uh, and generate the realizations that sets them on the path, be it the here, solitary realizer, and hopefully the bodhisattva path. So, and progress along that path uh, to the various stages of irreversibility. So may that happen for all beings. And in um, all future lives, may they attain the five super-knowledges. Now that's an interesting thought that everybody in all future lives yeah, has, we have the divine ear where you can hear sounds far away, the divine eye that can see things at great distance, um, the mem- remembrance of, or the um, supernormal powers where you can make your body multiply, make it invisible, 
things like that, walk through walls, walk on water. Um, the the my the super knowledge that can uh, remember all previous lives, and the super knowledge that can see sentient beings dying and being reborn. Yeah. So you have those. You have uh, you have to have a pretty strong mind to have those. Yeah, I mean, we always think, oh, wow, it'd be so cool to have those superpowers. But I've talked to people who, by the power of karma, can see things, you know, that the rest of us can't. And they say that it's very scary to them. And they wish they didn't have that ability. Yeah. So I think, you know, to... Uh, to have those kind of super knowledges, uh, your mind has to be very strong. You know, if you could eavesdrop on all sort of other people's conversations and hear what they were saying. Yeah? I mean, if you didn't have a really steady mind, you would be going up and down faster than any yo-yo could ever do. Yeah, because you're eavesdropping, you know. Oh, they say they like me. They don't like me. They like me. They don't like me. Oh, he's going to do that. No, he's not going to. He's going to do it. You know, we'd be completely like that if we could, uh, you know, read other people's minds or if we could hear their conversations at long distances. You know, same with with uh, uh, seeing all of our previous rebirths. Boy, you know, you have to have a lot of inner strength to see that. Otherwise, if we see some of the things we've done, we might really freak out. Yeah. Similarly, with seeing other beings die and be reborn. So, in all these kinds of prayers, yeah, what I'm getting at is here we may be praying for the result. May they have the five super knowledges. But when we do that, we should also think of all the causes that are necessary to be in place for those five super knowledges to come about and for them to be beneficial to the people who have them. Yeah, because we often just think of the result and we don't think of what it would really be like and and the other things that need to be in place for uh, for that to go well. Yeah. I mean, for example, we might pray, you know, when, when we're young, may I get into a certain school? And then we get into that university. But maybe we haven't created all the causes to do well at the university. Yeah. And we need some remedial English or remedial math or we need, you know, to be able to be stronger and do some public speaking or, you know, we need a bicycle to get around campus or we need to deal with some health difficulties or whatever. So, you know, when we often think of the result, we should think of the causes that need to be there for that result to be actually beneficial. Yeah. It it just reminded me of a a story I heard one of my teachers tell. 
So they tell the story at, at um, Gandan Monastery in Tibet. They had the actual throne. The, well, well the, yeah, the throne of Jaisongkhapa. Yeah. And so people would always go by the throne and make very strong dedication prayers because uh, the prayers were said to be, you know, when you thought of Jay Rinpoche in front of his seat and made the strong prayers, you know, had special power. And so one day they saw a calf sitting on the on Jason Kappa's throne, a little baby cow sitting there. And they were completely stupefied. What in the world is this calf doing on Jason Kappa's throne? And so they consulted with one lama who had these kind of powers. And he said it was because there was one old person who prayed, may I one day sit on Jay Rinpoche's throne? And they didn't specify, may I be a highly realized being and sit on Jay Rinpoche's throne? Yeah. So the prayer was incomplete, and they were reborn as a calf and climbed up on the throne. Okay. So I wonder if our kitties are listening. Um. <laughs> yeah, they may have pray- prayed, may I live in a monastery and be near the Dharma, and not prayed, may I have a precious human life. I've heard people quite envious of the Abbey cats. So it's really good to remind people not to wish that either. Okay. Yes, it's it's not good to be envious of the Abbey cats. Yeah, because who wants to have a cat rebirth? Yeah. You know, and our kitties are so close to the Dharma and so far away at the same time. Right, Modita? Yeah. Where are the other ones? Okay. The other ones are hiding somewhere. Okay. And in all ways, may I always do what brings benefit and happiness to all beings. So I think that's an important prayer to make. You know, may I never consciously, deliberately, or even accidentally do what is harmful for others. Yeah, even in my ignorance, even I may have a good intention, but due to my ignorance, may I never do anything that is harmful to other living beings. Yeah. Even if I'm still ignorant, may I still do what turns out to be beneficial beneficial to them, you know, and not harm other living beings in any in any way whatsoever. So I think important to, to dedicate like that. Then four eighty two, may I always dissuade all at once 
all those beings of any world who intend to engage in negativity without doing them any harm. So this is, this is a verse that should be um, taught at the police academy. Yeah? And taught in the army training system. Yeah? May I always dissuade all at once all those beings of any world who intend to engage in negativity without doing them any harm. Okay? So this, to be able to do this, you know, we can see how difficult it is with all the things that are happening with the police now. You know, many of those officers meaning well, but their mind gets uncontrolled. They get paralyzed with fear themselves. Their own prejudice overwhelms their mind. And they wind up damaging other living beings. And I can't imagine for some of those officers what it feels like, whether they're arrested or not, whether they're convicted or not. You know, like the one who killed um, the little boy. What was, his last name was Rice. What was his first name? The, the, the 12-year-old boy who was playing with a fake gun in a, in a park, and the cops drove up and got out of the car and without checking out what was going on in the situation, shot the kid. Yeah? And he died right, right there. I mean, it was horrible. And I can't imagine what that officer must feel like. You know, learning afterwards that it was a child, that it was a fake gun. He never got arrested. But he has to deal with the pain in his own heart of what he did. Or recently, the one who killed the 15-year-old boy outside of Dallas, yeah, who was in dry, leaving a party, and the officer, we don't really know why he shot at that car, because the guard was going forward, it wasn't any threat to him at all. But his mind was in some other state, and he did something stupid. And he killed that child, and now he is, has a murder charge. And his whole life, you know, completely, he may wind up spending the rest of his life in prison. As well as in his own heart and his own conscience knowing that he killed a 15-year-old kid who was a good student who never had any problems, yeah, with the law or anything like that. So, you know, they were trying to stop what they thought might be harm. They saw harm where there wasn't any harm. Yeah, they weren't thinking clearly. So... You know, here this is saying when we see people who are actually on the verge of committing negative karma, 
that will not only harm the victim of their action or the recipient of their action, but harm themselves by creating this horrible negative karma. May we have be very creative and be able to intercede in some way and stop the harm, but without causing harm to anybody else. One time, there, uh, one woman and her son came to stay at the Abbey. This was, I think they were our first guests at the Abbey. And she was quite a character and, you know, was telling all these stories. And I really wish I had recorded some of them or written them down because she did the most outrageous things sometimes in public situations to intervene when somebody was about to cause somebody else harm. And I remember one of them concerned like a domestic violence incident, which are always really difficult. Nobody likes to be involved in those. And there was a guy who was about to beat, you know, his girlfriend or his wife out in public. I can't remember what she did, but it was some outrageous thing that just they had to turn and look at her. <laughs> because of what she was doing and it totally broke the energy of you know what was going on between that couple yeah so i think of that sometimes you know uh how to to intervene in situations this is a local our former fire chief was an lapd cop in a very volatile situation with his partner in their police car. Uh, um, the gang was there, and they were not in good spot, and both him and his partner got out of the police car, jumped on the hood, and started beating their chests like gorillas. I remember him saying that, Or yeah. Tarzan. And the gang guys were like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> these cops are not like, they're crazy, and then they ended up dispersing because they just were acting so outrageous. Yeah. Yeah, that was Chris's. It was a good story. He told a bunch of good stories. We should have written some of his stories down, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like that. I mean, what an excellent example of tension between the gangs and cops where somebody's like, for sure to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Jumping on top of a cop car. Hello. <laughs> yeah. So these kind of, you know, creative things to to stop harm. Yeah. Because you know, we usually think of, you know, forceful way to stop things yeah but that always is not really the best way yeah. yeah i remember hearing a story of one woman crossing central park and uh she had lots of packages and it was at night and she could hear some guy following her and breathing 
you know. And she was like really scared and she was right in the middle of the park. And she turned around and she gave him all her packages and said, here, carry this. <laughs> and then she started walking really fast towards the edge of the park. And the guy was so sh- sh- shocked, he carried the packages to the edge of the park. And then, you know, she turned around and said, give them to me. And he did. And then <laughs> she was off with with other people around. Yeah? Yeah? And another the story of another woman who, um, yeah, again, walking down the street, being followed, and, uh, and the guy who was following her was saying all kinds of lewd remarks and, you know, hey, babe, you know, I want to, let's do this and stuff like that. And she gets to a stoplight where she has to stop. And, um, you know, on the street, and he's going, okay, babe, you know, can I ask you out tonight? We can have a real swing in time. And she turns around and says, sorry, I'm busy, and (laughs) walks away. (laughs) The one with the teacher? Uh, No, with uh, Venerable Robina Corton, who Uh her and her friend were accosted by men who were trying to steal from them. Uh And the man said, give me your money. She turned around and said, no, you give me your money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, so there's all kinds of ways to just do things without harm. Yeah, and so may we always be able to diffuse situations in that way. When Lachelle was here, she told a couple of stories about... um at one NBC training, um, an irate man came walking, storming down the aisle of the conference with a knife. And this uh-huh. woman responded. She was really good at her NBC and started responding immediately with meeting him where he was and disarmed him. Hmm. And what was the other story about the person sitting on, like, some guy sitting on the woman's chest? Do you remember how did how did the woman deal with it? What did she say to him? Uh, this man came running into this NBC training session with a knife towards this trainer, and she responded just angry and out of control. And she responded by saying, "You've got to be so furious and enraged right now. I ca- I can see it in your eyes." And she just came right towards him, and just met that knife and met that man, and he was like. Yes, you know, and they just had this whole big energetic exchange. It got him to just calm himself down just by not running away but meeting fury. Ah. The other one is one that we read. And it's a, it was a scary thing where a man was going to kill this woman and had a knife and had her pinned with this knife. And she just talked to him through the NVC language. And just empathized with them, you know, the whole usual way. And the guy kind of, I think it formed a connection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole situation disbanded. And he, he was the one, he wanted a hotel room, right? He wanted shelter. And she then later, you know, helped him to get shelter. And, you know, just diffused the whole thing. Wow. By actually acknowledging his pain. 
and his, you know, his pain and his, yeah, the problems that he was having and the mental, emotional problems he was mm-hmm. having, acknowledging him as a human being. Yeah. 483. Like the earth, water, wind, and fire, medicinal herbs, and the trees in the wilderness, may I always freely, may I always freely be an object of enjoyment by all beings as they wish. So this is saying, like, uh, you know, and this was said in a time when there was unowned land. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So just like the earth, you know, the ground anywhere, the streams running through it, the wind, uh, fire, the herbs in the forest, medicinal herbs in the forest, the trees in the wilderness that were unowned. Yeah. So may I always be uh, freely be an object of enjoyment. So, you know, in olden times, people could go and take the herbs from the forest. They could cut down the trees, uh, from the, take the herbs from the meadows, take the trees from the forest. Nobody would say, you're trespassing and stealing my stuff. You know, now who knows what would happen. But, um, you know, may I always be an object of enjoyment that people can make use of uh, very freely without fear, without hesitation, just as they would make use of, you know, if you're taking a hike and there's a stream, you fill your canteen there and drink, or the wind's blowing somewhere and you're hot and you go outside and and feel the wind. Um, So in the same way, may we make ourselves available to other sentient beings. So this doesn't mean that we let other sentient beings um, abuse us when they have a negative mind. That's not what this verse is saying. Okay? So, I mean, clearly if somebody is wanting to abuse us, they're going to be creating all sorts of negative karma. And so we step in and we try and, you know, dissuade that or interfere with that. But, uh, you know, otherwise, may, you know, may we offer service to all sentient beings as they need it and be sensitive to what other people need around us. Yeah. Okay. Again, this does not mean being Mr. or Ms. People Pleaser, running around, oh, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Oh, please, let me take your fork. Oh, please, here's a spoon, you know, and driving everybody crazy. Okay, we're not talking about that. Yeah, but just uh, like on, on the trip here, I was really very touched. I think three times in the trip, Uh, when I was having to go upstairs or downstairs with my suitcase, you know, somebody came along and said, may I help you? Yeah. You know, because, you know, sometimes with the going in and out of terminals, you have to go up and downstairs. And, And these are total strangers coming out of the blue, you know, picking up the suitcase, carrying them up to the top of the stairs, putting it down, disappearing out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah. 
And so I think of these people and I think, you know, in future time, may I be able to meet them and repay their kindness by teaching the Dharma. But it's that kind of sensitivity to what's going on uh, with the people around you and how you can just step in in a small way. On, on the flight back, I take my shoes off. You know, it's more comfortable on the plane when your shoes are off. And I put them in a certain little wedge place. Well, they got unwedged from there. And so when I got up to go walking, I found one shoe and I couldn't find my other shoe. So here you are, you know, you lost your shoe at 36,000 feet. (laughs) Yeah, and it's got to be somewhere. And there was a young man sitting next to me, and you know, he, he took out his phone and you know, used the made it like a flashlight so we could look around. And then, of course, the neighbors. I'm down on my hands and knees, and the people sitting around with, "What did you lose?" And I think they're expecting me to say like my passport or my glasses, my contact lenses, something like. I said my shoe. <laughs> Yeah, but people were really helpful. The man across the aisle, he was he was sick on the flight, and he was very fat. And he said, well, if I got down on my hands and knees to help you, I wouldn't be able to get up. But, you know, it was like he cared. Yeah, and finally we found it. Um, the, the lady in front of me, it was under the seat where her feet were. So somehow it got up there. <laughs> But I was imagining walking off the plane with one shoe. (laughs) But again, just the friendliness of people and willingness to help. Yeah. Instead of like scowling like, what stupid person. (laughs) You lost your shoe and you're in the airplane. But uh, yeah, being willing to help. Okay, so may I always be an object of enjoyment by all beings as they wish. Now, to be an object of enjoyment to all beings as they wish, we need to be clear thinking to make sure that as they wish, they will not be creating negative karma in making use of us. Okay, and if they are, then we need to handle that situation because that's not helping them. Okay, And also, may we not be lacking in compassion when somebody needs help. Yeah, like the guy sitting next to me, he could have thought, I'm not going to use, you know, my my, uh, phone has limited charge. I'm not going to turn on the flash or use it as a flashlight and run out the battery. I mean, of course, you could plug it in in front, but... Um, you know, the seat in front had a plug-in. But, um, you know, not be lacking in compassion and the willing to, willingness to help, uh, even in small ways like that. Yeah. So may we not lack the compassion, may we not lack wisdom, may we not lack the skill of knowing really how to uh, best benefit somebody Okay, so you see with all these prayers, there's all sorts of other things you have to pray for in order for 
this to happen. Not just pray for, but create the cause for. Okay, then, uh, 484, may I be beloved of beings, and they may they be more beloved to me than myself. May I bear the results of their negativity, and may they have the results of all my virtue. Okay, so may I be beloved of all beings. Yeah. So we just read that, and like I said, it's like, oh, finally I get to pray that everybody loves me. <laughs> And that everybody thinks I'm fantastic and like this, you know, finally. But then if we're praying just like that, how does that benefit all sentient beings for them, you know, just to love us and, and be kind to us and everything? No, that, that's not a bodhisattva prayer, as much as we would like to make it. Yeah, that, that's not what the bodhisattvas are, are praying for, okay? What it means is... Um, when we're in a situation when we can lead sentient beings through the Dharma, may they have a positive attitude towards us. Yeah. So, Kenzo Rinpoche, um, let me read what he says. It makes it very clear. When I am able to be a spiritual guide and protector for destitute sentient beings and help them out of their distressing state, May they cherish me and hold me as dear as their own lives. Why? Because in that situation, as their spiritual guide and protector, we have the ability to be of benefit to them. If they cherish us, then they're making themselves open to receive that benefit. If they're angry at us, we may try and teach them the Dharma or whatever, but nothing's going to go in. Okay? So it's not praying, may they love me so that I can feel loved. It's praying, may they have a positive attitude towards me so that they can be, you know, open and receptive to whatever aid I give them especially when I'm in the role of being a spiritual guide. Okay. Is that clear? Because otherwise, you know, if that's not clear, then we get into the slippery slope of, you know, well, I'm a spiritual teacher and now my students are going to meet all my emotional needs to be loved and appreciated and respected and honored. And, you know, if you get into that, you're sunk. Totally sunk. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, we have to remember here that made, wanting them to have a positive attitude towards us is not so that we can enjoy it. It's so that the door is open for us to be able to benefit. Because you can see that, you know, if people are angry at us, if they don't like us, we may be doing the bodhisattva actions, but they're not going to receive anything at all. And then he continues, in the same way, may I also hold them dear and care more for their welfare than my own. 
Yeah. So this is, you know, this is instructions on how to have a good student-teacher relationship where both people care for each other's welfare more than their own welfare. Yeah. So instead of us looking to our spiritual teachers to fulfill our emotional needs, to look at them, you know, with regard and respect and be open to what they teach us and put it into practice. And if you're on the side of being the spiritual teacher or whatever role you're in like that, may you have so much love and compassion for the people that you're serving that your motivation's really pure. And so that what you do from your side can actually be beneficial and not covered with all kinds of sticky stuff that, you know, could lead people astray or get them involved in something not so good. And then the, um, the, the second half of the verse, may I bear the results of their negativity and may they have the results of all my virtue. So this is the source of the taking and giving or Tonglen practice. Yeah. I mean, it's, of course, it's in the sutras, but here Nagarjuna puts it very clearly, very succinctly. And so this forms the, the, the basis for the whole way of generating bodhicitta that is exchanging self for others. Okay. Kenza Rumche goes into the story about Geshe Chekawa and Geshe Sharawa, but I think you can read that in the book. I won't I won't go in the, into that right now. Yeah. So um when we say may I bear the results of their negativities. Okay. So this is the practice of taking. And I find when I really think about this. You know, if I really think about this and, and like, for example, let's say you've been studying Good Karma, yeah, that book, and all the things of, you know, when you're experiencing this kind of result, it's because you did this kind of action. And so you really think about that and do a lot of meditation on karma. And then you, you think about doing Tonglen and think of people who have done those actions and what kind of uh, misery they're going to experience. And then, do I really have the wish to take on their suffering? Yeah? I mean, I have enough suffering already. Doesn't your mind say that? Yeah? If your mind doesn't rebel then the meditation is not getting to you. That's, that's my philosophy, you know. If your mind doesn't, if you feel, oh, I can take on all the cancer, I can take on kidney disease, I can take on all the pain of divorce, I can take it all on, and, you know, it's destroying my self-centeredness, and I'm giving everything away, and I feel so good after the meditation. In my opinion, if you're an ordinary being and that happens, you haven't really gotten what this meditation is about. Okay? 
And yes, it is good. If you, I'm not saying you're doing it wrong, because feeling good after taking others' pain and feeling good after imagining giving your body possessions and virtue to others and having a good feeling after that, that's very, very good. Because it gives, if you feel like that, it gives you some confidence to, to generate love and to generate compassion and to engage with sentient beings. Okay? So I'm not saying don't feel like that. Because if you do, it gives you that kind of confidence and willingness to help. And I think if you're someone who goes, wait a minute. I'm not so sure I want to, you know, cut off my arm here today and give it to somebody or gouge out my eyes like Aryadeva did and give it to somebody. You know, hold on here. Or, you know, I really don't know if I want to take on the pain of somebody else's cancer. Yeah, because I think when you feel like that, that's when you get to see the self-centeredness so clearly. That's when the thief is in pure sight. You got him, you know? That's when it's there. That's when we know exactly what the enemy is and how and what we're up against. Yeah. It's it and it happens in in ordinary daily life, you know. People say, "Can you take over washing dishes for me? I need to do something else." And the mind goes, "No." Then that's the time you see so clearly what the self-centered mind is. Yeah, then you know what it is. It's there in full bloom. Yeah, saying, no, I don't want any more suffering. I don't want your suffering. I don't want my suffering. I want to give you my suffering. That's what the self-centered mind is screaming, isn't it? Yeah? And to sit there and go, okay, what am I going to do with this mind? How am I going to tame that mind? Yeah? That says, forget it! No! I don't want any suffering. Yeah, what am I going to do to tame that mind? Where in the long rim do I have to start? Yeah. Probably precious human life. Probably at the beginning. And build up to it slowly and gradually. Yeah. Or if you have a good foundation in the beginning when that happens, then you start with 
may be the equanimity meditation or equalizing self and others. We all want happiness equally. We all want to be free of suffering equally. There's no difference between myself and others. And try and really meditate on that and feel that, you know? And then meditate on the disadvantages of self-centeredness until we really feel, yeah, that, that thought really is my enemy. Okay, so if your mind rebels against this meditation, uh, that's fine. Yeah, it really, you know, it shows us where we need to work. Yeah. If we feel great after the meditation, fantastic! It gives us more confidence, but we haven't seen the enemy. But that's just my opinion. Okay. Maybe this is a good place to stop and see if you have questions or comments. So when we do the Tonglen meditation, are we supposed to experience some kind of suffering? Like when we're taking in the suffering of others? Like it's not supposed to be just joyful, it's also supposed to be... It's not a supposed to meditation. Yeah, it's whatever you feel, you work with that. Yeah, if you feel you don't want it, then you stop and you back up. Yeah, and you do more meditation so that you develop that inner courage. Yeah, if you feel like you can take that suffering and really use it, to squash the, uh, the self-centeredness at your heart. And even on a level of imagination, you know, imagine feeling that you're free of your self-centeredness, then that, just imagining that, that's very good. Yeah, because if you can't imagine that, you'll never feel it. You'll, you'll never experience it. And so if you feel, yes, I'll take on their suffering... It smashes my self-centeredness, I feel. And you think, wow, what would it be like to be free of my self-centeredness? And you spend some time on that, and wow, how relaxed I would be. How free I would be. Wow, this is amazing. Yeah, then that's also very, very good because that gives you some kind of feeling of the power of equalizing and exchanging self with others. So that kind of feeling also is very good. Yeah. If you're just, and that's why I think, especially when we're beginners doing this, that we uh, don't do taking and giving with every inhalation and exhalation because we don't have enough time to really meditate if we're doing it with our breath, yeah? So I often do some meditation, and then when I finally take it, then I imagine it coming in on the in-breath, okay? But 
you know, that's once every, what, five or ten minutes when I'm doing it. Not, you have to be very well trained to do with every breath. I just wanted to make a comment. Personally, a very, very difficult thing for me is the whole idea of being of benefit without having a strategy about it being received mm. or people appreciating it. You know, how, how hard it is to be clean and clear about being generous, being kind, being helpful without not wanting the, thank you, you're great, I, I couldn't do it without you. Wow, you know, I just, this, this whole idea <laughs> of that's, is, is wanting to get some feedback and then the other yeah. one is, is like when I think of the kids in town, you know, with the yes, mm-hmm. knowing that when they cut the funding and it's hard to come up with the, the means for them and the resources, to know that the intention from a, from a deep-hearted place is good enough. Mm-hmm. And that to, to alleviate the suffering of the world is not possible. Not in, but, it, but my heart and my mind need to be in the place that if it were possible, yeah. I could do. I would do it. You know, yeah. there's this whole tug about not falling into um, not hopelessness, but just a kind of discouragement or even a frustration because yeah. it looks like things aren't happening f- from the world's side yeah. as much as the intention is 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 pretty clean and clear. Yeah. Know? Okay. So about becoming frustrated um, because you're giving with a good intention but you have a, some attachment to the result and the result's not coming the way we want so we get frustrated or we feel I'm wasting my energy or whatever it is yeah. and that, that's the whole that's one thing that bodhisattvas really have to deal with I can, I mean can you imagine what, how strong the bodhisattva's minds must be to deal with us? Yeah? They've been trying to lead us to enlightenment since beginningless time. We haven't been so cooperative. They keep trying with a good intention. We keep Ignoring them or running away or criticizing them or turning our back or something. Yeah. Imagine the kind of compassion that they have to be able to hang in there and be committed to sentient beings like us. When we don't say thank you and we don't appreciate them and we don't even recognize them. And sometimes they try and help us and we say, get off my back and stop bossing me around. Yeah? I find it very helpful. Flip the situation. What do other people have to go through? You know, what do the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas have to go through in trying to lead me? Now, if they're willing to do that, that's the same kind of mind I have to cultivate. Yeah? Where you give, yeah, and you don't feel discouraged and you don't feel frustrated because you, you aren't expecting a certain result and you know it's going to take a long time. Yeah? 
We like quick results. It's not like that. Yeah. And so to have that uh, internal strength and patience to keep creating the cause, you know, even though the result's not coming quickly. But I also remember Venerable Tarpa said something to me um, not long ago, uh, 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 something she ob- observed about Dakshin Rinpoche, and that he would give to other, other people, but when they weren't receptive, he didn't knock his head against the wall. He would turn his gaze and see where somebody needed help and there wasn't a wall. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing to be done. So, you know, in his mind, he wasn't frustrated, he wasn't angry, but he was just realizing, okay, at this point, the causes and conditions aren't there. So let's turn my attention to where the causes and conditions are there, and maybe I could be of more benefit. So that's not deserting the initial people. It's just seeing right now there's nothing much to do except hang in there mentally and hang in there with your compassion. It seems like, too, that um, keeping clear about the fundamental goodness of beings is actually kind of a protection sort of, you know, that um, if you keep that in mind, then maybe it's easier to see right now they're not receptive, but then you go to the next one because you have this underlying, um, you know, you see the goodness. Yeah. 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 That's important. Yeah. Yeah. If you have this, you're implanted deep in your mind that you're the uh, lens through, through which you look at others is, as Lama would say, they means well, dear. Yeah, that they, the nature of their mind is pure. It's not contaminated. The, you know, the contamination, the pollutants are adventitious. And if that's your habitual way of looking at people, then it's you're not going to get discouraged and frustrated as easily. Yeah? Because you can see, okay, if it doesn't happen now, it'll happen later. But that potential is always there. I would just say one other thing. Um, this reminds me of working with people that are quite mentally ill, that you keep coming up against this illness, Mm. but you still see that there's hope and there's, there's uh, change. And, you know, so it's, it reminds me of that, that you don't give up on them Mm -hmm. because of this, whatever it is, you know, you keep going. Yeah. 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 You keep going and you're understanding because you, you see that there's an illness causing that. And one other thing, the people that see people as an illness, 
then they <laughs> not only don't help, but actually they harm, mm. and nothing moves much. Okay, could you explain that more? What do you mean seeing people as an illness, and how does it harm by seeing uh, them that way? That they've solidified, and uh, the person, because of the label, and they have this idea in their mind, it's always this, and it's always going to be this. And so they relate to them that way, which mm-hmm. then affects that person in a not a healthy way at all, because mm-hmm. they then start uh, believing that mm-hmm. themselves, and then they lose all hope. And then it's just a bad situation yeah. all the way around. 